everyone. This is episode 172 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again today by Ryan Topp and Paul Noonan. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday morning, so before any craziness of the Packer game, I uh, figured it's better to do this beforehand than after when, when you know, our various mental states may be affected by whatever happens in the game. So. Yep. I don't know. I'm feeling kind of good about it. I know, Paul, you're kind of feeling confident listening to the reporting as eligible. I, like, I, like I've said, I, I wouldn't bet on it, though. That's the thing. And uh, Tampa is like the most well-rounded team left in the playoffs. They're the only team left that has a good offense and a good defense. And uh, I, I would just wish somebody would have knocked them out. They're like the just because of what happened earlier. But, eh, you know, that wasn't in the cards. So yeah. Yeah, the Packers will have to earn it. And that's how it usually goes. And, you know, like these conference championship games kind of feel like better and bigger games than the Super Bowl itself sometimes. So, yep. you know, if the Packers get through this, we'll be feeling pretty good. So we'll see what happens. Very true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, you can help us support the podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for just five bucks a month. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and his new co-host, James Anderson from Rota Wire. You'd Heard him here last week in his debut episode. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods, a preview of the Packers game every single week. Uh, so hopefully there's a, a Super Bowl preview coming down the pike in the next week or so, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, you get all that for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. On the baseball front, I guess still a slow week in transaction news, but we did get some sad news in the latter part of this last week. Hank Aaron died at the age of 86 in Atlanta. Obviously, it means a lot to not just Atlanta and the Braves, but the Milwaukee community too, especially for for a certain generation of people. I know he was my grandma's favorite player. She was a huge Milwaukee Braves fan, you know, when they were here in the 50s and in the 60s. Still loved baseball today. She's the one that got me into baseball. So, you know, that's kind of my connection to Hank Aaron. We'll spend some time talking about that and just some of the ridiculous spurs that he put up during his career because he was just kind of one of his things is he's so understated, right? It, it's easy to forget just how good he was uh, for so long, too. But I guess uh, let's just start off. I guess, Ryan, your thoughts on Hank Aaron and his, his passing this week? We've had so many of these. I think that uh, MLB Network mentioned that since last April, this is the ninth Hall of Famer who's passed away. Yeah, it's been a, a rough year for sure. Yeah. And most of them have been of the age where it's not a premature death. About as young as it gets was Don Sutton. That was just a couple weeks yeah. ago now. Also, former brewer. Yeah, it's it's been rough, but Hank stands out just for, for so many reasons and for just the, the legacy that he has in baseball and beyond and the the respect that people clearly have for him that – He's just a, a a huge figure in the game. You know, the idea that he was the home run king basically, you know, my entire childhood and mm-hmm. well into my adulthood. And he he was on that pedestal. And, you know, 755 was this huge, huge deal. Even to to the end, like his last big public thing that he did was a public service going and getting the covid shot a couple weeks ago. And you know, taking a picture and, and publicizing the fact that he had done this, and in just kind of his his typical understated way that he comported his life with doing this, understanding that he could have an impact just by doing something and and making it public. 
it's it's really it's a it's a tough thing he had a good long life and yeah it's it's still just this huge loss and it's something that we're going to have to be reckoning with for for a while i think yeah it's also just not often we lose like a true inner circle hall of famer because there's just not that many of them and Frankly, most of them are are from times long, long ago. All the modern ones have, you know, some kind of taint around them. Like Barry Bonds is certainly one of the greatest of all time, but nobody likes Barry Bonds. Um, even people who think he should be in the Hall of Fame don't like him. And guys who are like famous, like Derek Jeter, aren't even in the same uh, class, close to performance-wise as Aaron. So he, he's really one of the few, like truly, like top five all-time type players that we had still around. Like maybe Mike Trout gets there someday, but he's not yet and you have to make you just think about Aaron like he was just so great for so long you just don't see guys like this very much and he's kind of a unique hall of famer for that reason um, I think one of the reasons he gets discounted sometimes first of all I do think he's an underrated hall of famer and I think it's because he doesn't have like the 60 home run season on his resume or, or anything quite like that of the mainstream stats that you see he was just super good for 20 years right. and uh um, you know, it, that makes him kind of sound like an accumulator a little bit, but that's not true. Like, this is not a Craig Biggio, like Rafi Palmero situation um, for his uh, peaks, not even the right word. Um, uh, absent his rookie season and his last two seasons, he was above four war every season except one. And that one, he was three point nine. So um, that's, that's there's uh, every stat about Hank Aaron is insane, but he was essentially one of the best players in baseball every season for two decades that and that's you, you just never ever ever see that anymore um it, it just doesn't happen yeah you definitely don't don't get that prolonged peak right you know if we're lucky we get that that short four or five year burst where somebody's putting up all-time great numbers but like you guys said over 20 years i mean i pulled up his b-ref page this morning just to kind of prepare for this and dig up some of the the crazy stats and the first thing that you see on that page is 25 time all-star like (laughs) are you kidding me a quarter century of all-star appearances is just legitimately insane so uh you know paul you said it it, every single number associated with him is just insane is the only word to really describe it Milwaukee fans, he's retired in the Brewer Stadium, obviously, and I know people mm-hmm. sometimes have a problem with that because he did finish with the Brewers, but he, th- those were two of his worst seasons. He was you know, quite old at the time. But it's worth noting, he did bring Milwaukee its only World Series in exactly. seven, And in that World Series, he had a 1,200 OPS and just beat the ever-living stuffing out of the New York Yankees, which uh, who can really ask for more, more than that out of anybody? Uh, he was the best <laughs> player on a World Series team with other Hall of Famers. So uh, Yeah, and that was his only MVP season, which is really something. Yeah, that shocked me too. Yeah, that he only has the one MVP. But then again, they really were reticent to give it to players multiple times. Willie Mays, I think, only has two or three of them. And and he now stands as you know the greatest living ball player. But he's yeah, also, he's, probably, he's a few years older than Hank even. Yeah. So he's 89. So, yeah, we're talking about these crazy numbers, and our, our good friend Ruby Q on Twitter sent <laughs> us this question, you know, just kind of reminiscing over the last couple of days. So when we sent out the call for questions, his w- was, you know, one of the first, and he's just asking, what's your favorite, quote, Hank Aaron was an otherworldly baseball talent stat. So, I mean, there's a lot to go through, so we're going to spend some time on this, and I know uh, both of you guys kind of spent some time compiling your your random ones. You know, Paul's already thrown out a couple uh, so I guess, Ryan, uh, let's start with you. 
what's one of the things that really jumped out to you when you look at his career? Yeah, unfortunately, I was listening to the Effectively Wild podcast. I had a few of these, and they came up on there. So, oh. like, I not that I necessarily found them myself. They were they were referenced by other people, but the one that really stands out to me. So he has uh, sixty eight hundred and fifty six total bases, which is mm-hmm. just astounding. But when you look at the list of players after him, number two is Stan Musial, who has 722 fewer total bases than he does. <laughs> Tom Verducci, I think, on MLB Network mentioned that that was like 12 miles worth of uh, <laughs> of bases. Very nice. Yeah. and But if you then compare that to, okay, that's 722, so take the that down, and then how far do you have to go past uh, Musial? to get 722 more total bases, you get down to the 10th player on the list. Wow. So the difference between him and number two is the same as the difference between number two and number 10 on the all-time total bases <laughs> list. And it's just, it's it, that's absolutely gobsmacking. And the other one, obviously he is the career leader in RBIs at 2297, uh, which, you know, it's a, it's a number that, I you know obviously we don't pay as much attention to as people in the past have because we understand that it's it's so context driven but it doesn't really when you start getting to that level and talk about almost 2300 RBIs in your career it doesn't context sort of doesn't matter at that point <laughs> right you're talking 23 years of 100 RBI seasons. Like, yeah, it, it, like it, it just sort of doesn't matter because you can't fluke your way into 2300 career <laughs> RBIs. Like you just can't. Exactly. Like, you have to be an absolute machine and just good for so long to, to be able to, to rack that up. And yeah, so that that one definitely stands out. The other thing that like people talk about, uh, and I think this came up on the Effectively Wild, really if you look at his career, if you take his 20s and his 30s and just like turn those into separate players and give him like barely adequate stats, he's a Hall of Famer in both. Like he was, <laughs> and, and nobody yeah. really does this where you're a Hall of Famer in your 20s and then in your 30s. So, yeah. you know, there are guys who kind of have late peaks or early peaks, but nobody really does that for an entire career. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. So yeah. It, just to put some context to that one, um, the, the tweet I saw going around and I, I apologize for who did it first. Um, I'm trying to pull it up. I saw it from Craig Edwards. Hank Aaron's seven best seasons, he had a 56.4 war. And Hank Aaron's next seven best seasons, he had a 49.1 war. <laughs> and keep in mind, that that's just 14 seasons. He played many more seasons than that. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good one. That one's insane. Oh, yeah, I actually, he does have his next seven seasons, 30.7 war. So there, there's your good breakdown of 21 seasons of just excellence out of that guy yeah it's it's just that longevity right like that's yeah insane i like the one that i saw tyler kepner tweet which is that hank's the all-time leader in extra base hits and if you took all of his extra base hits away he'd still have more hits than joe dimaggio (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) oh yeah there's there's another one like that too if you subtracted so he had ended up with a career total of uh 3771 so if you subtract his 755 home runs, he still has over 3,000 hits. It's, that's great. Yeah, but those are those are not quite the the Wayne Gretzky stat, but they're pretty close to the Wayne Gretzky stat. So. Yeah, the Wayne Gretzky stat, but that's the that is the most impressive stat that I've ever heard. So um, anything, anytime you get close to the Gretzky stat, you're super. You're talking about the fact that if you take away his goals and just go with his assist, he has more 
assists than anybody else has total points. That's correct. In yes. NHL history, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's he, 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 has, he has more points if you take away all his goals than anybody else has points. So um, that's insane. That yeah, I, and he's also the all-time leading goal scorer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, there you go. It's it's an easy comparison to make. I think growing up, like Ryan said, that the seven fifty-five was the big thing too. But growing up, I'm of the age where you know I was. 10, 11, early teens in the in the steroid era where, you know, people were hitting 60 pretty regularly. And the, and the one that always stuck out to me about Hank Aaron is he never hit 50 home runs in a season. Uh, and I know that's not necessarily like an unknown fact, but the fact he never hit 50, but he still led the majors four times. He did hit 40 or more eight times, which, you know, I guess considering the era is really impressive too. He also hit 40 as a 39-year-old, which is in the early seventies is just otherworldly talent too. You guys talk about that and, and accounting for era and all that stuff too. Uh, his career high was 47 and that came when he was 37. So again, <laughs> kind of goes back to the idea that he, he was a hall of fame player in, in basically multiple decades. He also hit those 47, by the way, in only 139 games. So, yeah. you know, if you would have played more, he's getting up there in age. I'm sure they're trying to limit his player. If there's an injury involved or something, he would have hit 50 that year at age 37, which in 1971 would have been just absurd. Yeah. The amount of black ink on his baseball reference page is just astounding. And yeah. like this, the time separation of it, you don't usually see this. It's usually much more condensed. His is just kind of all over the map. You look at like he led the league in runs in 1957, in 1963, and in 1967. <laughs> so, you know, a 10 year split yeah. there. Uh, yep. Led the league in doubles in 55, uh, in 56, in 61, and then again in, in 1965. So, again, like a decade split there. Led the league in home runs, like you said, uh, four times in 57, 63, uh, 66, and 67. Like, it, you just go down this list, and then total bases, like, he obviously, for being the all-time leader, he has a bunch of these, but, yeah, you let it in 56, and then let it for the last time in 69. So a 14-year split between the first time and last time that he led the league in total bases. That yeah, is and, just unreal. And also played in um, what is, I think, pretty universally um, regarded as a pitcher's park. Yeah, um, the Atlanta was a canyon for a long time yeah and i was just checking some some park factors um between atlanta and milwaukee and like the yankees and the yankees are right about average um in terms of old-timey park factor in yankee stadium one um and uh the 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 braves and brewers split right around 93 92 for their multi-year park factors around that time period i have no idea how accurate those are for the you know times long gone by but uh you know those were those were big parks if if aaron's playing in a smaller park, he probably hits quite a few more home runs. 800, 820, something. Yeah, context uh, neutral. I think I heard it was it was well over 800. Yeah, that's yeah, it's just insane. And, you know, you guys mentioned, too, only one MVP to his name. Probably should have had more. Like, the 1959 season jumped out of the page at me <laughs> when I looked at that. I, I, I don't know if you guys both have that uh, page pulled up right now. But mm -hmm. if you're listening along, 1959, he hit 355. 401 636 for a 1037 OPS in the year 1959. Uh, his OPS plus was 183, 400 total bases with 223 <laughs> hits, 46 doubles, seven triples, and 39 home runs. He finished in third place in the MVP voting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's ridiculous. It, it, 
Ernie Banks won it that year. He wasn't even uh, the top rated brave on, on that list. Eddie Matthews finished ahead of him in second place too. Uh, both Ernie and uh, Eddie Matthews had more home runs. I don't know if that played a fact. I mean, Ernie Banks had huge counting stats. That's 1959. You get the penalty for not you know, voting everybody the same every year, but that's just yeah. an absurd line. Well, Ernie was still probably a shortstop at that point. Yeah. It, it, it's just, that's just an incredible line. And the fact that, that's just one of many too. just jumped out at me. Well, in those Braves teams, if you look, were because of the era that they played in where there were so many good National League teams. I mean, the National League was really, really throughout his career was the better league. Like they were yeah. they were pretty much the dominant team. The, the Yankees on the other side just completely outpaced everybody in the American League. And there yep. really wasn't anybody good over there. But you had the Dodgers, who were a very good team early on in in uh, in Aaron's career, where they were competing with the Dodgers for the pennant early on. And the Giants were sort of in and out, uh, frequently good in that time period. And then into the 60s, you had teams like the, uh, uh, the Reds with Frank Robinson were quite good. And so they competed with them. And then, you know, later into his career, like the Cubs became a good team. And I'm trying to think who else would have been particularly good in that era. But it, the National League was the competitive league. I guess the, the Pirates had good teams. They won the, the 1960 World Series. Like there was there were always good teams and a lot of great players. Like you could think of the players on those teams that we're talking about. Frank Robinson was in the uh, the National League much of that time. So was yeah, Roberto Clemente. Musial, like we mentioned before. Yeah, like Musial with the Cardinals. Yeah, the NL too. Yeah. yeah. We, we also, we should mention, um, Hank Aaron really what did span eras to a large extent. Like um, if you see video of like his final home run, it's in color. It looks mm -hmm. pretty modern. It's Bruce. But he played in the 50s, and he he was a Negro League player. He, he had 26 official Negro League games, and he played like Hank Aaron in them. He hit 366 <laughs> with five home runs and 33 RBIs over those those games, and you know his typical excellence. But I mean, I think of Hank Aaron as sort of a modern ball player, and that frankly wasn't that long ago. We shouldn't lose sight of that either. And you know we've mentioned on the podcast many times. Um, Negro League stats, as they should now count as as professional statistics. So I was going to bring that um, up too. Yeah. So he he does have more home runs than we typically allot him, and you know deservedly so. So, did you see uh, the Twitter thread that kind of got shared around this week, where um, you know Hank himself said he was hoping that they could find seven or eight or something like that, uh, which would uh, push him back be beyond Barry yeah, Bonds. Barry Bonds yeah. um, so now there's there's some work underway. You, you know, he had the five regular season home runs you mentioned there before he signed with the Boston Braves, but apparently he was loaned back later in the year, made a playoff stint, and uh, in the, you know, the Negro League World Series, I guess, if you will, later that year, he apparently went on a tear, uh, but there's there's <laughs> trouble finding some official box scores for that. Uh, but there, there's some belief out there that if you were to count, you know, postseason stats too, uh, he, he, he would still be ahead of Barry Bonds. But then and, you'd you have know, to count also, Bonds as postseason. Accounting right? I mean, yeah, but yeah. also accounting Bonds as postseason home runs too. I, I believe the number would still be higher, or they'd be tied, or something like that. So, okay. because then you go back and you add Aaron's, you know, playoff and World Series home runs from the majors. So. It, it, the number was something like 770 something or I don't know, but it, it's just really interesting. And, and that little wrinkle 
of including mutilated stats now. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done. You know, it's not instantaneous. All the historians have to go through and kind of verify all of this before it becomes official. But uh, just something really interesting to come out in the last week, too, that I, I'm kind of interested to see how that turns out, just in case. Yeah. I, I'm sure the commissioner's office would love an excuse to take that away from Barry Bonds. I just don't know if they have the the evidence to do so. But yeah, it, it's it's just incredible when you think about everybody's got the clip of him running the bases when he breaks the record, uh, wearing Milwaukee Brewers colors, and he yep. started his career in the Negro Leagues. It, it simultaneously feels like a really long career, but also a good reminder that, like you said, it, it wasn't that long ago. And also we should mention, too, he spent a lot of time in uh, Eau Claire in Wisconsin before he broke into the majors, right? He, he played some minor league ball there. I think there's a statue of him outside of the stadium in Eau Claire, too. Uh, so it, a lot of Wisconsin ties for him. For well, sure. if there isn't, there should be. And actually, yeah. I had a, a friend of mine in a group chat brought this up, and I would like to mention it here. And if we could get something going for this, this would be great. But the suggestion was made by my friend Mark Brown that uh, really, if they want to permanently rename Miller Parkway something and not have to worry about changing it again, sure. Hank Aaron Way would really work. Like, yeah. Yeah. that would that would solve that problem forever. You don't have to worry about changing it again. So... That would be uh, that would be probably the the right move to do, and now would be the time to make that move. So, if anybody knows anybody in the uh, West Milwaukee uh, City Council, City Council, yeah, <laughs> send uh, send your suggestions over that way. That is a good uh, idea. They should do that. Otherwise, they're going to be flip flopping that thing all the time, and it's going to end up some terrible name like Guaranteed Rate Way, and nobody wants that. So, <laughs> so yeah, right now they're saying that they're not going to change it. They're just going to leave it Miller Parkway, and okay. like. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. People know it as that. But there isn't a person. Well, there, there are, I'm sure there are people, but nobody would listen to them because they're idiots. There, <laughs> nobody would nobody would argue with the idea of renaming that Hank Aaron way. That's true. Nobody yeah. would like it, it would just be. Yes, that's that's what we should do. And this is a thing that we can do to to honor him because he does have that tie. And you brought that up, Paul. I personally, the, the Brewers have four numbers retired. And zero problems with Yount. Uh, Molitor, I mean, he also, like, he played so much of his career in Milwaukee. And they should have Molitor retired. Molitor should be retired, yeah. yeah. I mean, Yount is the no-brainer. And then Aaron, to me, is a no-brainer, too, because he played most of his career in Milwaukee as a Brave. Yeah. And, yes, yeah. then he he came back at the end for the Brewers. But he's not retired because of what he did as a Brewer. He's retired because of what he did as a Brave. And that makes yeah perfect sense the also, one that I, actually, I argue with is raleigh like yeah raleigh is uh <laughs> like <laughs> that's not that's one. not good it's all because of the mustache honestly um but aaron's <laughs> fine uh, uh but first of all we should we should actually have more ownership of i think the the milwaukee braves um history than we do because yeah no one in atlanta cares about it uh, other than right. just mentioning it as a number that they add to the number of titles that they've won um, but they don't. Nobody cares that they won those titles because they were in a different city at the time. You know, those are those are ours. My dad lived here when those happened, and you know, views those as as fond memories. So th those should be right. our titles, and that should that's fine that we have Aaron retired in our stadium for that reason. My grandfather attended a game in the '58 World Series, the one they lost yeah. to the Yankees. Then yeah. he was from Richland Center, so. Yep. Honestly, if they wanted to retire Spawn and Matthews too, I'd be perfectly fine with that as well. Probably should. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mentioned it off the top of the show, but my grandma, too, huge Braves fan, 
growing up, uh, you know, that became her connection to baseball. She still watches every Brewers game, you know, went to all of our baseball and softball games as kids, like, and Hank Aaron was her favorite player. So I think for a lot of us, you guys are a little older than me, but like our, our parents, our grandparents, that generation really has the attachment to the Braves, which I have no problem with celebrating, you know, honestly, like you said, it's the last world series title in Milwaukee. Anyway, may as well live that up. But there are a lot of fond memories. I I know even the governor tweeted this week, you know, one of his fondest memories was Hank Aaron coming to his baseball camp as a kid. It's kind of like a a cool memory. There's just a lot of a lot of connections for people of that age group. And those of us who are younger, our our parents, our grandparents that really touched their lives in in that way. I guess before we wrap up the stats conversation, do you guys have any any other crazy stats? Otherwise, I've got one to kind of cap it off. Only because I looked it up um, for all major league players of all time with 10,000 plate appearances or more. He is the fourth fewest hit by pitches. People liked Hank and didn't want wow. to drill the ball. So only 32 tied with Cap Anson. Um, and it's only, crazy. Uh, yep, only good players ahead of him. People like Dave Winfield too. And he, he's one of the few that got hit less. So, um, <laughs> and Derek, you played, you know, he played in like three different decades. That's an incredible number. So yep. yeah, it, I guess mine is kind of interesting, especially when you compare it to the game of today. You know, you think power hitters constantly swing for the fences, a lot of swing and miss. Uh, That was never Hank Aaron. He never, not once, struck out 100 times in a season. Yep. Over 20 plus years, never struck out 100 times. He only struck out 90 or more times, 90 or more times, three times. He had 18 seasons of 70 or fewer strikeouts. He had more walks than strikeouts nine times, including that, that eight, was awesome. I, I saw that yeah. one too. Yeah, more walks than strikeouts nine times, eight straight years from 1968 to 1975. So, you know, we we joke about old man skills. His old man skills were super refined at that time, where he, yep. he got more and more patient as he got older, and never lost the power either. Uh, so that's just to me blows my mind when you think about you know 100 strikeout seasons are kind of a given now in today's game for any regular. Just insane to me. He had, for his career, more walks than strikeouts. 1,402 walks and 1,383 strikeouts. Yeah, that's also 1,383 strikeouts over 20-plus seasons. There are guys on the Brewers where if they played 10, they would easily surpass that, right? You know? (laughs) uh, Granted, again, different eras, different mindsets at the plate, obviously. But just somebody who had that much power just never seemingly swinging and missing is <laughs> a scary, scary player. And, you know, like that's, that's the kind of skill set that we didn't see for 30 plus years until Barry Bonds showed up. So, you know, it's kind of puts into context just how special that skill set was before we move on. Any, any other parting thoughts on, on the numbers of Hank Aaron? Yeah. 240 career stolen bases. Yeah. I noticed that too. I, I was hoping there were some like 30, 30 seasons in there. Didn't quite hit that from what I remember. But I mean, especially in the in in his peak years, also a speed threat too. So I mean, just an amazing all around player, right? Well, he wasn't stealing bases in the fifties either. That's what's amazing about this because the game yeah. was so different at that time period. But you look at it when he was, you know, twenty one to twenty five, he was stealing three bases, four bases, mm-hmm. eight bases. He didn't have a double-digit steal year until he was 26, and I think that was because of just the changes in the game at that point. People weren't emphasizing that. And 
So you think he could have stolen, he probably easily could have been over 300 if there had been an emphasis on running earlier on in his career. Because you look at it, he stole, as a 34-year-old, he stole 28 bases in yeah. in uh, 1968. Like, so clearly <laughs> yeah. he was not getting the most out of his speed in terms of turning it into stolen bases. And that was, you know, a context league-driven sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just really, every single number you pick out on that page is is insane. Uh, but also, you know, his, his impact on the game on Milwaukee as a whole kind of really goes beyond that too. Uh, we got our first Patreon question of the day here from Jay Google focusing more on the off the field stuff. He says, where does Hank Aaron rank based both on his athletic and cultural legacy? Who else is in that conversation? He brings up two names that I think are kind of in that stratosphere. I wonder if there's any others. He mentions Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali. Ryan, I guess when you factor in the cultural effect of Hank Aaron too, uh, I guess what what does that mean? Where does he rank among those names? Yeah, I mean, he's a little bit different. He's not as as big and out in front. But I think it it said a lot for the fact that on MLB Network, they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar come in and speak on Friday when he passed away. Kareem came in and wanted to talk about how he grew up idolizing Hank Aaron as a player and as a man. And because Kareem's a little bit younger than him. So the fact that that he was such a big deal to somebody of Kareem's stature, who, who definitely fits into that. Kareem did a lot in terms of breaking down barriers and dealing with a lot of issues regarding race in his career. And I, I don't think anybody like the two that, that Jay mentioned there are, are sort of the, the big ones. And I'm, I'm totally with, uh, with George will on this, that Jackie Robinson is one of the most important civil rights figures, not just like within like a sports realm, but just period in the country's history. I think he said it was Martin Luther King and then Jackie Robinson. And then there's a pretty big gap when you go after that. And yeah, that Jackie is is a remarkable presence, very successful businessman. Both of them ended up running companies in their post playing days. And so Hank in more of a of a quiet way, which isn't to say that he was he was hiding away and shying away. I think we, we saw a lot of this. William Bradford Smith wrote a really good piece on this. Uh, about basically uh, about Hank Aaron getting MLK dead. <laughs> I agree with this, by the way. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and? There are a lot of people, especially on the day that Hank Aaron passed away, a lot of people trying to sort of hop onto his legacy, uh, tarnish his legacy, by saying, "Oh, he did it right by being quiet and going along mm. with the crowd." I think it's the message you saw, and that's not, first of all, not accurate, not fair to Hank Aaron who would not have cared to be associated with that message or the people giving it. And uh, so uh, Jackie Robinson, I agree, is above and beyond baseball because of what he did. But I think Hank Aaron is very much in the same line as Jackie Robinson in that um, he had to deal. You know, the thing with Jackie Robinson is always um, his job was to you know go play with the uh, with the white players and be better, be as good as possible, ignore all of the outside stuff ignore all the pressure and be the best baseball player he could. He was also outspoken, but I mean, the hard part for him was baseball is a hard sport. You know, the guys get thrown off their game by little tiny things going wrong all the time. Like 
um, little tiny things that screw up with the routine. Jackie Robinson's whole life was his routine being screwed up by jerks and still managed to play super great. Hank Aaron, very much the same, you know, got death threats when he started to get close to Ruth's record um, even before that for various other reasons. Um, just by being a good black player for much of his career, that makes you controversial. When you start to threaten white records, you get, you know, pe- people come after you. People came after him. At one point in his life, he was getting 3,000 death threats a day. And um, Aaron did what people had to do, which was, you know, slough off all of that, ignore all that hatred, you know, put in the back of his mind that he might just randomly get shot by somebody at some point. One of the most terrifying pictures of all time is those people running on the field to congratulate Hank Aaron when he breaks the record. Like, because you don't know who they are. Can right. you imagine yeah. that happening today? It, those people would be instantly tackled and, and, and taken off the field. Like that is a terrifying thing that could have gone horribly wrong. But Aaron was under much of the same pressure that Robinson was when he got close to Ruth's record. And it, it, just look at his career. Never like water off a duck's back, like never bother him. Just played at an excellent level through uh, in, incredible hatred um, through uh, just a, a ton of controversy. And um, it, it, just plowed through life like was successful at everything was successful post-career was a success like a philanthropist um he won by being nicer than everybody he, he, in a in a way that like was a shining example of how any human should be not like oh i'm going along to get along like no i'm uh, you can do whatever you want i'm gonna hit more home runs than you i'm gonna be a better baseball player than you i'm gonna be a better businessman than you i'm gonna do more charity than you you're all worse than me so um this is how you win at life um and that's what hank aaron did yeah, I, you know, you guys, you you mentioned some of the threats he faced when he approached Babe Ruth, but I, I think also going back to the longevity and things feeling longer than they longer ago than they actually were, I saw a note that when Hank broke in his rookie year, I think he was only like one of ten black players in the major leagues at that point. Yep. So I mean, at, when he broke in, it was still a pretty new thing you know we were talking a little more than what a dozen or so years since jackie or you know it it wasn't it was still recent history that jackie broke jackie was still playing he played against jackie for four or five years there exactly so like paul said from day one he had that that attention on him and that pressure on him because ryan you alluded to the point too when you're when you're challenging the status quo you can't just be as good as your contemporaries. You have to be better to prove that you're worthy and that other people <laughs> are worthy of being average, you know? So like that's that stress of knowing you also have to go above and beyond and perform above that level yeah. is, is something else too. Well, it so. took decades off of Jackie Robinson's life. He died yeah, extremely prematurely because of just the, the weight that he carried around from all of that that nonsense that he had to put up with. And Hank was always willing when people talk about this, that when, when matters of race came up, no matter when it was like in his career, he was open and would talk about it and was, was active in that way. It was just that he was not, it was not a part of his persona in the way that some other people chose to do it. He's really just a remarkable human being from, from all of these things. And we did talk about it already a little bit, but the idea that he played in the Negro leagues, you know, he is, he's one of the remaining players who, who had played in the Negro leagues. He wasn't there long. 
because it had, at that point had already been sort of well established that you're going to go and and play in uh in the major leagues as we understand them to be now or at least in affiliated baseball but he also did uh, I can't remember exactly where it was but he was the first uh black player to play in the South Atlantic League I believe it was he was the one who integrated that league and you yeah. can imagine think about playing in the deep south in that time as the first black player and what that the mvp there too yeah Again, what that must you know, have been for him and, the, and what kind of strain that would have been on a kid who was 18 or 19 years old at that point yeah, yeah. i mean that's that's really hard to to comprehend and, and to think about you know when jackie did it he had the advantage of having had you know a pretty a, a, a long life up to that point. Uh, he was when he when he integrated. I think he was twenty seven or twenty eight years old, and he had already been in the army, and he had been court martialed for refusing to move to the back of the bus, and all of that. It, it's a very different thing if you think about where you were as a person when you're eighteen, nineteen years old versus where you are in your mid to late twenties. Hank was doing a lot of those things in a much less the the light was not nearly as bright nationally but locally it still would have shown very brightly on him people would have known who he was and what he was doing and there would have been a lot of people who would have been very very angry and very upset and he, what he would have dealt with in that time period is also incredibly incredibly awful and really shouldn't be forgotten yeah and there's that there's also you know, the the added impact of him inspiring generations of players, black players beyond him, right? You know, it, it kind of went from Jackie to Hank in a lot of ways uh, in terms of kind of being the leading example for black player, players and kind of inspiring those next generations too. And, you know, it a lot's been talked about recently how we're seeing those numbers decline too, which is really a shame. And, and there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, in current days but you know for a long time hank was somebody that that population could look up to and say i could do that too well the guy that they had talking on mlb network on friday when all this was happening was cliff floyd and yeah. he talked about the the chances that he got to meet hank aaron and he could he recounted those stories with the kind of detail that you knew that this was something that he thought about often and those days meant something to him in his life and were like big super important like life events because he could recount exactly what the context was and where he was and how he he went about meeting him and realizing that yeah he only got a brief time with hank but that was not because hank was you know trying to big league him or whatever it was because everybody wanted that moment with him it, mm -hmm. it was hank had to go through and talk to so many people and and form that connection with so many different people that there just wasn't even time for him to spend individually with with one person. Peter Gammons told a great story because Hank really uh, he's a big presence. Some Hall of Famers at Cooperstown, they, they show up for the ceremony and, you know, get to be on stage and, and that sort of thing. And they're in and out of there. You know, they, it's it's a, a, a short little thing for them. That wasn't how it was for Hank. Hank loved being in Cooperstown because he loved being a part of like the baseball fraternity of 
of players. And so he spent a lot of time and Gammons told a story about uh, Aaron walking up to him just a few years ago now and uh, putting his arm around Gammons and saying how great it is to be a part of the baseball fraternity, how, how wonderful this is that they get to have this in their life. So, you know, there was that aspect of his personality too. The game was everything to him. It was, it was such a big deal to him and he truly loved it. And you, I mean, obviously you'd have to, to do what he did you, you couldn't do that without loving the game. So there's also that aspect of his personality. Absolutely. So much to talk about. Hank Aaron, the player, Hank Aaron, the man, you know, we've been doing this for, we've been going on for almost 45 minutes now. And I feel like there's so much more we could talk about, but you know, especially if you're, if you're younger like me and you haven't really looked into his career and his life, I mean, I would encourage everybody to go out there and just absorb as much of it as you can, because there's just, there weren't many people like him and there aren't many left and both as players and as men. And, you know, it's definitely worth the time to kind of study him a little bit more if you don't know a lot uh so hopefully you know that we try to do our best to <laughs> offer a fitting tribute i feel like you know we covered a lot but there's just so much more and live 86 years a life like that it, it's just hard to to really do it justice but yep. you know he'll he'll he means a lot to a lot of people he'll, he'll continue to mean a, a lot to a lot of people uh but it, you know, we, we just wanted to take a lot of time here to kind of go through some of that stuff. Okay, last thing. Yeah, he's on an episode of Futurama with Bob Uecker, and uh, ah. <laughs> um, the Blurns Ball episode has Hank Aaron and Bob Uecker, Bob Uecker's uh, disembodied head on it. So how did I forget um, this? I love um, Futurama. Oh, man. Also, also just worth pointing out an excellent cartoon appearance from Hank Aaron playing Hank Aaron the Fourteenth, um, his <laughs> great, 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 great grandson. So. <laughs> So if you do one thing after listening to this, is search out that clip because I mean that's that's an all-time great episode of Futurama too. I can't believe I forgot that. I have Euchre's head in a jar as my avatar. Have for a long time. You do you do <laughs> good stuff? All right, I guess um, shifting gears a little bit to talk about current day Brewers. You know, we mentioned this kind of in passing last week, joked it off, but I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more now that it's official. The Brewers signed Daniel Robertson. Uh, I guess you could call him a utility infielder to a major league contract. You know, he he's an interesting guy. So we wanted to talk a little bit more about that just because, you know, he, he does have, you know, I guess post-hype prospect pedigree. And those guys are always super exciting, especially to Ryan. Uh, so I guess, Ryan, let's let's do him a little bit justice. What do we know about Daniel Robertson? And, and why are you talking yourself into him being something? I'm definitely talking myself into him being something, yeah. So he was the 34th overall pick in 2012 out of high school, which means he's only 26, which is, you know, in today's game where players are good earlier, that may seem like, well, that's very old for a baseball player to break out. But we've seen in recent years, guys make adjustments, guys make changes to their game to become better players. And he talked to Adam McAlvey this week about the idea that he wants to be part of this lineage of guys like Josh Donaldson and Justin Turner, who broke out in their late 20s and became much better players than they had been before that. And so he definitely has his sights set on doing that. And I think that there's, you know, a, 
when a guy has the talent that he obviously does, you don't get taken 34th overall if you're not a talented player. So there's there's something to work with there. The question is going to be, what does he have to do to be able to unlock that? Because I think part of the why he was considered to be good, and this was what James referenced on last week's episode, he was at one point viewed as the shortstop of the future, but now is more of a third baseman. Like he could still take a glove and go play shortstop some, and he'll be a utility player for them, but he's viewed more as a third baseman and the, the offensive bar at third base is higher. So the question becomes, you know, how, how far can he push it? And a lot of that is going to come down to what kind of power can he show? Right. If you want to be optimistic about him, there are good fixable excuses for his sort of plummet off the prospect radar. Um, and so he, he had a nice little uh, ascension going there from the time he was drafted till about 2018. And at the end of the 2018 season, um, he he underwent thumb surgery for, I think, a tendon problem. And th- thumbs are just just terrible, like just a bad injury to have, especially when you're trying to build power and things like that. Um, and in the middle of 2019, he had knee surgery. So he's had two, I would say, injuries that, that kind of hurt your ability to continue to grow, um, that stunt you as a prospect pretty routinely if you have them. And sometimes they end careers. That's true, too. But, you know, if, if you still see that talent there, um, even at a slightly older age for a prospect, those guys sometimes do work their way back into something useful and sometimes very useful. So um, it's not like he just fell off the cliff because his development stunted or because, you know, he just ran out of ran out of talent. Sometimes that happens to guys. There's other there's other things going on with him that maybe will work themselves out as time goes on. So he's a good guy to take a chance on for sure. Still, by the way, does not count as a major signing, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you look at his 2018, there's a lot to dream on there. Uh, 262, 382, 415. So 797. Uh, that's a 122 OPS plus in, in 2017. That's not bad. That's that's really pretty good. And he does take a lot of walks. He has 99 career big league walks in 855 plate appearances. So that would be what, about a 12, 13% walk rate? So there's something there. It's kind of Turner-esque, right? <laughs> you know, Justin Turner, not <laughs> known typically for, for a lot of power, but, you know, especially once he went to the Dodgers. And this is kind of the 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 link that we're trying to draw here, or that he kind of drawed, right? Like, Justin Turner got DFA'd by the Mets in 2013 when he was uh, 28 years old off a 704 OPS season. You know, it was like a decent utility bat. And then he uh, went to the Dodgers and hit 340, 404, 493 the next year. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to see that from yeah. Daniel Robertson. Uh, but, you know, that's that's kind of the similar skill set that we're talking about, right? Like not a ton of pop, but enough to get by. Lots of walks. So, I mean, I guess there's something to dream there. I, I kind of chuckle at the Josh Donaldson comp because he's never hit for power at all in the minors um, but so I don't I don't think we're gonna see uh you know 40 home run bringer of rain Josh Donaldson out of Daniel Robertson but you know enough to be useful I guess is your point right Ryan especially when the Brewers don't really have a third base option on the roster right now yeah and that's the thing is he can play a bunch of different positions he can go to the outfield he can play anywhere on the left side and second base also like he can fill in in a lot of different ways. And so in this way, he's very David Stearns-y, obviously. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, you want to collect guys like this and 
give them chances to see what they can do. But you'd rather not have them, I guess, be your option 1A at Correct. any position. Right. So you, I'd feel much better if uh, he was more of the, say, 12th man on the roster as opposed to the, what, 8th <laughs> right now, probably. Yeah, yeah, like You'd yeah. feel a lot better if he was pushed back a I mean, little bit, but your... there's still time for that to happen, so... If he's if he's your Jed Jerko of 2021, I guess you could probably live with that, right? Like, if he does stuff, great, awesome. But you're not really counting on him to be the anchor at a position, right? That's kind of where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I like you said, decent flyer, very very Sternsy. Uh, I guess I know Paul. You've been kind of critical of, of taking flyers on guys like this before, but you seem a little bit more optimistic about this. Well, I mean, take flyers on him. It's just you know, it's good to have those as like Ryan said, as backup options. Not as there's still nobody to play at third base right now. <laughs> um, get get well, somebody you, to do that first. Sure, uh, and I think I think he still has team control beyond the one year, but maybe that changes with the one year contract, but you know, on, on baseball references coming up with only three years uh, service time. So I guess there's a chance there too, that he could be here beyond this year. Oh no, absolutely. Uh, That's yeah. 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 So again, very stern Z, right? <laughs> we'll see. It's at least like an interesting under the radar signing that we joke and we, we kind of like try to talk ourselves into these minor signings just because they're like little scraps of something what to talk got. about. But yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there's enough there. And like you said, uh, the, the guys with the first round pedigree, top 100 prospect pedigree, uh, not even Justin Turner was was that. So, you know, maybe there, there's something to dream on there. And there, there's obviously something that the Brewers saw that they thought that they could you know, emphasize or, or get them to take the next step. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. We do have a couple of other Patreon questions uh, this week before we wrap things up. Adam Post is asking, should the MLB contract the NL Central instead of the minors <laughs> with little how little anyone in the division is trying to win? He's only half kidding. So we see the Pirates keep selling off guys. In the last week, they traded Joe Musgrove away. Sounds as we record this that they're on the verge of trading Jamison Tyon. Uh, so I I don't know who's going to be throwing baseballs for the Pirates this year, but we'll we'll see. But I guess uh, Paul, how how bad is this division? So and just under yeah. your scenario, Adam, um, I I believe what the Pirates are trying to do is actually avoid being contracted by turning themselves into a minor league team, um, <laughs> and, and because there's not really many major leaguers left over there. Uh, honestly, I am I am if the, if those trades happen, I'm struggling to name a Pirate right now. Uh, I. <laughs> I'm going to have to go look at the, their B-Rough page to do that after this is done. Um, it's it's really bad. And every I feel like divisions are lined up in such a way that everybody's got one team that should always be competitive. The Cubs are that for the Central. And then you get the Cardinals, too. The Cardinals are their own thing because their small market is always good. But, like, it's really bad. Um, it, it's some Somebody should, like, I feel like there was a background, like, uh, roulette wheel spin to allow one team to spend a bunch of money this offseason to make everything look legitimate. And that's the Padres. Um, They won the wheel spin and like they need to, they need to have another couple teams to avoid. I think looking like there's a whole bunch of really bad collusion going on, um, which there is, but they need to make it look like there's not. Well, Toronto started spending this week. Oh, did they? Did they get a wheel spin this week? They, uh, yeah, they signed Springer. Springer. Yeah. To $150 million contract. Oh, who signed Brantley? Was that? 
Brantley was signed by the Astros. The Astros? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. All right. Um, my dream died. Yeah, almost um, signed with the Jays, apparently. There was like a, a 30, 30 minute period on Twitter where everybody thought he was going to the Jays or something, yeah, right? But some, somebody, yeah, yeah. somebody from the league office needs to get in the Ricketts ear about this because this is not an acceptable way to run a division. I mean, we should be happy about it that we're in it, but goodness gracious, it's going to be boring, bad baseball. It's really bad. It might be one of the worst divisions of all time if the Cubs don't try. Like <laughs> one of the old NL West divisions where, yeah. you know, the Padres get in with 82 wins if that. Yeah, I don't well, know. remember when the strikes uh, happened in 94, the Texas Rangers, I believe, were leading the AL West, which was a four team division back then. But they were 10 games under 500 or something. Yeah, that, that is true. Leading the AL West. So baseball actually dodged a bullet on that one because that would have been pretty bad had they yeah. actually made it to the postseason that year with a team that was well under 500 <laughs> making the, the postseason, which was going to happen because they was, were just so bad. Yeah. I guess, Ryan, you're the soccer fan. Should the NL Central teams be relegated to <laughs> AAA and we get like the Indianapolis Indians up here or something? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's really pretty bad. And obviously the way that... Uh, the American sports are structured. My wife and I were actually just watching uh, the end of this first season of Ted Lasso, which I highly recommend to anybody. Jason Sudeikis is amazing in it and it's very funny and really great. But uh, they were talking about the idea that like the players in England were all surprised. They're like, wait, you don't have relegation in America. And they go, nope, we just have teams that play out the string to half empty stadiums and nobody really cares and it doesn't really bother anybody. And they're like, that's not good. And they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> so it's uh, it's definitely a uh, it, obviously it's it's a thing to protect the value of the franchises. It's the owners of major league teams don't want to potentially lose the value of going down to a lower league. So they would never want this structure, like clearly because it would cost them a lot of money. And so because the system was set up in this way where the, the major league teams are on high and everything slots in below them. And because basically then all the other American sports followed that pattern because they really were the template then for the national league became the template for the, the American league. And then the agreement between the American and national league sort of became the standard as you know, the NFL appears and then the NBA appears and the NHL, they sort of follow this pattern Whereas in Europe, there was this completely different understanding of how things should work, where you started a club and then you tried to fight your way up to the top level of all the clubs, and you knew that you could go down or you could go up. It so, is weird that European soccer and most soccer leagues are far more capitalist than mm -hmm. all the American sports, and all the American sports are just mega socialist collusion um, versus their European counterparts. But it is absolutely true. Oh, I've said for years that in America, we expect socialism in our sports and capitalism in our politics. And in Europe, they expect socialism in their politics and capitalism in their sports. <laughs> yep. And they get it. And they like you can you can make your own judgments as to which you think is the more appropriate arrangement there. But uh, yeah, like it's it's definitely a difference in how they handle things. Yeah. Okay, I guess it, uh, speaking of shady business dealings in American sports, our last Patreon question comes from Aslatam, uh, talking about a, a kind of a 
let's just say unusual situation with the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know how many people uh, heard about this in the last week, uh, but he's asking, what's your take on the report that the Orioles tried to defer portions of a couple of one-year arbitration salaries? Uh, so this was reported in The Athletic. Uh, apparently, the Orioles asked two arbitration-eligible players to accept deferrals of a portion of their one-year salaries so they wouldn't be getting the full amounts in 2021. Uh, I guess, you know, without turning this into baseball economics talk again, <laughs> Paul, how, how seedy is this and should it's, we be worried? It's really seedy. And the, this, the Orioles have not had a great week um, uh, on financial or like relationship terms. I, I think they, uh, they termed a bunch of other people in the organization, including uh, a couple of announcers, if I saw correctly. Um, but uh, maybe I didn't, but this, uh, this is super seedy. Like this is already cheap. Um, it, what I don't know what you're doing here other than you saw you found some loophole and you saw an opportunity to save a few bucks somehow because um, like arbitration is already under market value like there's no reason to screw around with this and it's not like the Orioles are poor like they can pretend that they're poor all day we're not going to rehash this no no, man, no major league teams are poor um, well and they got all that a, sweet sweet mesothelioma money so uh, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that is that's where Peter Angelos made all his money, right? I was, know it is. It, yeah. it, that's that is true. I, I I am not talking about um, asbestos litigation on this podcast. Jeez, um, <laughs> um, but but it, it, this there's no other word for this than CD. This is going after a very small amount of money for no good reason at all, other than you figured out a way that you could maybe do it, uh, and you got some shark lawyers. That's it. That that that's really it. it all it says is it's another thing about the state of Major League Baseball that they are looking to cut corners in such a way that they're even doing things like this now. Well, and I don't think it's a, a an accident that the management team from the Orioles came over from Houston. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, oh, they did. Mike Hazen. Yeah, these guys. Uh, these guys were from the Houston yep. Astros. So, and this was it was this kind of stuff that got them a reputation when they were on their way up as being a place that players didn't want to really have anything to do with. They were bad too, and they were intentionally losing. And so, like, yeah, that was that was a big deal. But in in fourteen and fifteen, you know, before they got good, I should say, in fifteen, you know, they had all this this heat come down on them. Remember when they backed out of signing Brady Aiken because his he was the number one overall pick in the draft and yep. they backed off of it because he had when they they did the the exam they found that his ligament in his elbow was uh was trash so they decided to basically withdraw their offer and that took him anyway got the bonus pool money and the spare pick the next year <laughs> yeah which yeah. turned into Alex Bregman <laughs> That yep. was that's when they got Alex Bregman when next year with the number two pick. So, yeah, it it definitely is sort of part and parcel of of the way that they run things. And the Brewers are not that far divorced from this. I mean, we should remember that David Stearns also came from Houston, though yep. he was he had come more from the Major League Baseball office. His time in Houston was relatively short. I think he was only there two or three years. Like he did not come in at the beginning with them and he was out relatively quickly. He had come from major league baseball home office was where he cut his teeth in the game. So yeah, a little bit different right. lineage, but just to clarify on the Orioles broadcast thing, they're basically getting rid of their pregame show, getting rid of all the personnel that were on it. Uh, they fired one of their announcers. I don't know much about the Orioles. So, but uh, they they replaced Jim Hunter, who is their longest tenured broadcaster. And it looks like they like, 
got rid of a substantial amount of their like pregame and postgame a- analysts just a couple weeks ago. That's so, a shame. yeah, I that mean, is a shame and kind of crazy. Yeah, MASN was is very good actually as far as like regional sports networks go, and they're doing that is kind of scary. But yeah, they kept yeah. Gary Thorne, right? Uh, I don't think they did. Um, uh, let's see. Won't be back. Uh, this article I'm seeing at BaltimoreBaseball.com has longtime broadcaster Gary Thorne, who did not appear on telecast during the pandemic, won't be back. Nor will Rick Dempsey, nor will Mike Bordick, um, a lot of other people, too, who are on the broadcast. Ridiculous. Yep. I mean, I, I probably the thing is, Gary Thorne probably was getting towards retirement age anyway, but that yeah, doesn't necessarily he's been mean a long anything. time. Yeah. He's the voice of hockey to me still. Like, I know Doc Emmerich is great, but to me, it's still Gary Thorne calling games in the 90s is my memory of NHL. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, we do have more uh, baseball finance questions. We oh, also sorry. put a question out for put a call out on Twitter, on our Twitter account at MKE Tailgate. We do that every week. So if you have a question and you're not a patron, you can still reply to that tweet. You can also tweet us questions individually. Ryan's at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. So our first Twitter question comes from McNam003 on Twitter. Uh, he, he notes, Corey Knable signed with the Dodgers for $5.25 million. Will the Brewers add another $5.25 million in salary this offseason? <laughs> That's a good question. Nice. Uh, so with the over-under of that, I'm not sure. I think I'll take the under uh, a little bit. Um, uh, I just don't see a big signing happening, so I'll go. I'll take the under on five point two five million. I, I just think they're going to be super cheap this off season, and I'm sure they have to bring in some more players to have more players. But I, I just, it'll, I think they'll all be just really, really small deals. So I, I'll actually go with under the Knievel signing for the rest of the off season. Okay, so do I get to count the nine hundred thousand they gave to Daniel Robertson? Because that might change my answer here. <laughs> You, you get five Daniel Robertsons or one Corey Kennedy. I think you yeah. can count it. I'm joking. I will take the over. I do still think they're going to spend money. Maybe that's just me being a, a foolish optimist on this whole thing. But I think that they are going to, once they feel like the market has settled out and they can get guys at the price they really want to pay, I think they are going to stretch well into the 80s as far as payroll. So I think they're like 70 six now somewhere in that neighborhood i think you're gonna stretch well into the 80s so yeah give me the over on that yeah uh paul you were gone last week but when we talked about this with james he you know we kind of i guess felt it, it it's hard to see anybody north of 10 million a year signing right but you might see a couple of you know five to tens maybe and i i agree with ryan it does i think depend on where the market settles you know i think Right now, they don't have plans to spend more than $5 million, but you know who, who knows who's available in three weeks when spring training is about to start and that kind of thing, and guys get desperate for jobs. Well, and so. there was that Marcelo Ozuna rumor, and if that's at all true, that they, true. Were, if they were checking in on Ozuna, that does mean they have at least a willingness to spend some money. If they were yeah. really looking at him, because he's not going to come for less than... That'd be like a... Yeah, one year, ten million or twelve million or whatever you want. To I think he's going multiple years at a minimum. So Ozuna's been pretty decent. So I think he'll go multiple years at a minimum. And so yeah, if they were checking in on that, then they have at least some willingness to potentially spend. 
I should say, yeah, Ozuna will get multiple years, but if the Brewers get him, it will be for one year. That's true. I think that's kind of my thought process. <laughs> also, giant grain of salt on that rumor because it was reported by the same guy who uh, said Luis Castillo is getting traded to the Yankees, right? Yeah. So, yes. Uh, you don't we'll, we'll actually, yeah, don't actually believe that. But you know, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Again. It's like the small, like little breadcrumb of rumors that we have. Yes, so we, yep. we jump all over it. So I, I don't know. I guess, yeah, sign Ozuna, see where he plays. I don't know. Sort of like we were saying the past couple of weeks, screw the defense, just get bats, right? So yep. I, I don't know. I, I'm with Ryan. I could see another 10 million or so. I don't think they'll go north of 90 million payroll, but we'll see who's available. One last Twitter question from somebody named Brew Crew Blue. I don't know that guy. He's asking, did I leave my tinfoil hat at one of your houses? So Ryan, uh, this is Brad, of course. He moved on. Uh, We can say it now. He officially announced it. He's the new social media director for the Milwaukee Brewers. So if you saw that tweet earlier this week, kind of quote tweeting the uh, top 10 uh, first baseman in the National League, and every single one was Dan Vogelbach, that was uh, Brad's genius. So you can thank him for that. Uh, but, But Ryan, did he leave his tinfoil hat in your basement somewhere? No, no, he actually has never been to my new house. He was ah. he came over to my my old place once when we were recording the uh the prop ed episode. But now now he didn't do that. I <laughs> he's had a really we've we've had bad luck with first weeks at at jobs because yeah. he's <laughs> he had a lot of people uh a lot of condolences yes. sent out since he took over that account. So between Ted Thompson with the Packers and and Hank and, Aaron. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, obits are difficult and condolences are hard. They're easy to screw up, especially if you are a, a company brand person. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Tough one. To, tough way to start. But he's he's navigated through well. So, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got uh, a few extra tinfoil hats. If you're missing one, I can send one over. Sure. <laughs> sure. We'll just have to duck into the conspiracy corner every once in a while. I have one that I save for all basketball games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also have Any, an NBA foil hat NBA that I break out pretty regularly. Ryan's got the Badgers basketball Big Ten ref situation. Oh, oh, we won't uh, talk about yesterday. Bo Borowski. Oh, Bo Borowski. Oh, that man. <laughs> who's the Who's the guy from the national championship game that was so awful? That uh, screwed up the Justice Winslow call? Yeah. Or I don't, I don't remember. I don't yeah. know. No. Mike Eads, maybe? I think okay. maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely need the tinfoil hats for this afternoon for uh, the, the Packers game. You know, I did write on the uh, the officials for uh, this game and the AFC game, and the, the Packers have Cleet Blakeman today. He is not too bad. He does call more penalties than average, but they tend to be for oh, less yardage than average, so they tend to be a lot of um, offside-y, um, nothing really more than holding penalties, so it should be okay. The last game that was officiated... Um, between the Bucks and Packers was Jerome Boger, and he called six penalties on the Packers and none on the Buccaneers. It was the only zero penalty Buccaneer game all year. They averaged three. The only times they were under three on the season was other Jerome Boger games. So you can expect mm. more penalties than you're used to being called on the Buccaneers today. Mm. That Yeah, go. I remember that from this week's RAE, and I was like, yes, that, that does sound correct because that game was on the terrible. other hand, On the other hand, the Packers are going against Tom Brady at a 10th Super Bowl appearance. So uh, get your conspiracy theories ready. In a snowstorm. That's never worked out poorly for people. It's not supposed to be snowing at game time. That's true. But we're going to see two very old, cranky, cold quarterbacks probably. So probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So that's all we have for questions this week. A reminder, you can sign up to be a patron on our Patreon page. That's uh, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, five bucks a month. You get question priority. And Ryan, we do have a couple new patrons to shout out this week, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, screen names, I guess, this time. <laughs> so we have <laughs> Dr. Underscore Hillbilly. Welcome. <laughs> and Paul, you were hey, you had, uh, given us the derivation of that earlier. That is the Simpsons reference to a wrestling match that's on at Moe's Bar in an early season episode where Dr. Hillbilly is facing off against the Iron Yuppie. Dr. Hillbilly is wearing overalls and a surgical mask, and the Iron Yuppie is in a three-piece suit with the sleeves ripped off and a luchador eye mask. So, <laughs> good, good, good one, Doctor. Appreciate great it. Great one. Great one. And we also have Senor Bob. <laughs> two, two great names this week. Uh, yeah. So thank you, Dr. Hillbilly and Senor Bob. Yep, I feel like Senor Bob. Senior Bob could be a tag team partner for Dr. Hillbilly. I, I agree. That's like the, right there. Like it is a tag team that we're looking at right now. <laughs> well, thanks Gracias. to you guys both. <laughs> Gracias, Senor Bob. <laughs> uh, yeah. A, a reminder, only $5 a month. You get the uh, Minor League Extra podcast, Noah Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. You get question and priority, all that fun stuff. So thanks to you guys and those of you who aren't patrons you can go and, and sign up right away uh if you haven't already too please do subscribe to us whether that's on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher overcast pocket Casts, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts please hit that subscribe subscribe button you'll get that little push alert whenever the episode drops usually on a monday and while you're there please do leave us a review to help other people find the podcast uh had a lot of fun this week uh, thanks, Ryan. Thank you, Paul. In the meantime, we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Stay well, everybody. Thank you.